Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 40 in the book of John entitled The Sentence, where we discuss John chapter 19, verses 16 through 27. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? So this is, uh, this is the key moment of our salvation when Jesus Christ, the substitute, uh, fulfills all of the prophecies uh, that were laid out for our redemption, for our atonement. Jesus is crucified. This is the account in John's Gospel of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in it also we're going to fit into John's agenda, and that is to present Jesus as deity. We're going to see him in an amazing way, die like no man has ever died before. We're going to see his other centeredness. We're going to see the way he fulfilled prophecy. Uh, We're going to see various aspects that point to the deity of Christ. But the centerpiece here is Jesus dying for our sins. For our purposes today, I'm going to begin in the second half of verse 16 and read through verse 27. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Why does John include the account of the soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes? Well, I think it's pretty plain that he's heading toward Psalm 22, verse 18 which uh, he, he writes, he records, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And so this, uh, this is a, a direct fulfillment of, of prophecy. So they're, they're, they're dividing up the clothes. Um, they, first of all, you just look at they, that he means nothing to them. Hmm. Uh, he, he's just a payday. He's just a day at the, you know, see if we can get something out of this. Um, I think it was John MacArthur that made it plain that there was a certain providential aspect of the, of the, the number of things that, that he would wear and the number of soldiers there were that could have divided and they would have all been of equal value. So in the end, they, had, they, they couldn't divide the garment. They would have had to tear it, so mm-hmm. they had to cast lots for it. So God maneuvered them to the point where they had to cast lots rather than just simply divide uh, the four articles of Jesus' clothing. So at any rate, I think the reason that John goes through this detail is to get everyone to go back and read Psalm 22, which is very important for his purposes here. Absolutely. And at the end of that verse, it says, So 
the soldiers did these things. Yes. What does that teach us about God's sovereignty and human decisions, right? The soldiers yeah. carrying out acts that were predicted a thousand years prior. Yeah, I mean, it, it says this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided, divided my garments among them and cast lots from my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. In other words, because the scripture predicted that this is what happened, this is how they acted. Well, here's the thing. You could say, well, that makes no sense. The, the, the soldiers didn't read the prophecy. Well, they didn't need to read it. God knew it. And so fundamentally, it didn't matter what they knew. What it shows is God is absolutely sovereign over the mindless activity of soldiers you know, having fun, I guess, and getting some profit out of a dead man, wow. casting lots, God's sovereign over that whole thing. So what it does is it gives us confidence in God's sovereign rulership over the daily events. Here's the thing, scripture actually would go beyond it. God sovereignly ordained who won the casting of lots. The lot is rolled into the lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. Everything is ordained hmm. and predicted down to the the... Uh, the winning of the the robe um, and the casting of the lots, etc. But for me, it just it goes down. And and Jesus also pointing to Psalm twenty two by saying by speaking the first words, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Mm -hmm. Then you read the words of Psalm twenty two, and it is it is so plain to me as a Christian as I read that that what is depicted there is crucifixion. Um, there is a victim. He is surrounded by powerful people who want to rip him to, sh to shreds. Uh, many bulls surround him. Lions are roaring at him. These are metaphors. He's clearly talking about people. Um, they have pierced my hands and my feet, it says. Um, and then this statement, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now, mm -hmm. as you look at David having written that in the year around about 1000 BC or something like that, when did these things happen in David's life? There's no record of his hands and feet being pierced. There's no record of people, you know, gambling for his clothing, him being surrounded by ravenous beasts of people that want to tear him um, limb from limb. He had different kinds of trials. He was a warrior. He was hunted down um, by... Saul and his army, uh, but these things didn't seem to happen uh, to him. So uh, this is prophecy, and it's so clearly specific mm -hmm. that Jesus and John both want us to read it and see in Jesus the fulfillment of this prophecy. Wow. It's clear evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. Mm. Now, Andy, in verse 25, do you think it's significant that there were four women at yeah. the foot of Jesus' cross and only one man, that being John? Mm -hmm. I mean, what does this teach us about courage. Well, yeah, I think it took a great deal of courage uh, for these women to stand there, guilt by association. Mm. In the movie Ben-Hur, the mm -hmm. classic movie, um, you know, they arrest uh, Ben-Hur's mother and sister and take them in and they, in the movie, they develop leprosy. Um, a, a trusted, faithful household steward goes to just make inquiries and to advocate for Judah Ben-Hur in that he didn't do anything intentionally, that some, some tiles slipped off the roof and fell behind the, the governor's horse and the horse reared, the governor fell, but there was nothing intentional on that part. He then is arrested, hmm. done. And you see the same thing in the book of Hebrews where the kind of courage it took to bring food and blankets and water to prisoners to stand with those accused of crimes, it, it would be very easy, guilt by association, to be arrested yourselves. and. 
you know, at least in the movie Ben-Hur, they arrest women as well as men. So it took courage to stand right there by uh, Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, the women, uh, men don't have any corner in the market on, on courage or wisdom or, or boldness. Um, but it also shows there, there's, there's no human bond, I think, like the bond between a mother and her children. Mm. And so Mary is there. And she is there uh, in fulfillment of a, of a prophecy spoken to her by Simeon. A sword will pierce your own soul, too. Mm. So she was not physically pierced, but it must have ripped her apart to see her, her perfect son die like this. Mm. And she was there. It's also interesting and noted that three of the four women are named Mary. And uh, this is very much related to, um, to Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi... <clears throat> lost her husband and her two sons. She was a bereft woman in her own mind as she returns to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest and they and her name may, meant pleasant. Naomi means pleasant. But she said, don't call me uh, mm -hmm. Naomi, but call me Mara, which means bitter. So it's, it's you know, it's like myrrh. It's, it's related to bitterness. And mm -hmm. so Mary, the mother of Jesus, and two other women are named Mary as well. It's just a bitter moment for them to see Jesus dying. There. Mm -hmm. so, but they're also there as eyewitnesses. They watched him die. Yeah. And so did John. And it's amazing. All of these prophecies we've spoken of that were far in the past, but then mm -hmm. this one that you just mentioned in Luke 2.35 that's mm -hmm. more recent, and Mary would have yeah. perhaps brought that to mind even in that moment. Yeah. Now, the disciple whom he loved is the same one who wrote the gospel, right? Yeah. John 21, 20, and 24 tell us that. Yeah. Why do you think John identifies himself that way? Yeah, it's, it's, isn't it marvelous? It's so, so beautiful. Um, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And again, it, it's, we're not saved by our love for Jesus. We're saved by his love for us. You know, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for, for his friends. You are my friends. I will love you mm -hmm. and I will lay down my life for you. I am the disciple whom Jesus laid down his life for. I'm the one that Jesus loved. And, um, you know, it, again, it's more important that Jesus know us than that we know him. Yeah. All right. Because many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Mm -hmm. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So what really matters on Judgment Day is, does he know you? Not you claim to know him. Wow. And so J John just beautifully identified. First of all, it's like, my name's not important. And it's a bit odd because John is identified. And again, he knew almost certainly what the synoptics would say. So he, he's listed. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, et cetera. He's listed, but he's just never listed here. The John in John's gospel is John the Baptist. So there's no John in John's gospel. This is definitely the apostle John. And he's called the apostle whom Jesus loved, or the disciple, sorry, whom Jesus loved. And he's standing right there. So yeah. he's courageous. He's not afraid to, uh, so Peter made the big boast, right? Yep. Um, you know, even if all fall away. Everyone kind of, runs away. I never will. But John trumped him. Mm. John's standing right there. Yeah. And he is, you know, later in the same chapter, he is the eyewitness that sees the water and the blood flowing from Jesus' side. Yeah. It's helpful for us to see the way that these apostles in Scripture think mm -hmm. of themselves, yeah. even as we think of ourselves. So yeah. John thinking about the most important thing about him being that Jesus loved him. Or, again, Paul thinking of himself as the chief of sinners, the one most in need of the grace of Christ on his behalf. Yeah, and again, we just want to zero in on this. this it's sovereign love. Yeah. It's love that saves us. 
And so at the end of Romans 8, when it says that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us mm. from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that's a love that saves us. Um, that's an electing, justifying, sanctifying, glorifying love. And so when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, it means he loved them to the uttermost, like yeah. it says, he loved them to the end. And so this is the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, as we near the end of the passage, what arrangements does Jesus make for his mother? And why did he make these arrangements, given first century culture, the status of a widow, and the responsibility of a son toward his parents? Yeah. Well, it's, it's just interesting, the verbiage. Um, he sees his mother and talks to his mother. But what does he say to her? Woman, behold your son. Hmm. Now, if you're Mary hearing those words, what does he mean? But then it becomes clear when he says to the disciple, behold your mother. Hmm. I get it now. So he puts the two of them together. So at the level of intentionality, and then John explains it, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. We could keep going in our minds and took care of her, met her needs, hmm. cared for her. So it says a lot. Uh, let's, let's start just at the simple physical level. It seems like Jesus's brothers, according to John 7, did not believe in him yet. Um, so James will believe in him very soon. In a few days, you know, on the third day, he'll believe in him because Jesus appeared to him. So uh, that's coming, but he still entrusts uh, John to Mary and Mary to John. And so secondly, it's a fulfillment of the law of Moses. Honor your father and mother. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in, 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 uh, in Matthew 15, uh, when he was exposing the Pharisees who set aside the command of God for the sake of their tradition, God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses father and mother must be put to death. But you say, any way I would have helped my parents, meaning in their old age, mm. is a gift devoted to God. You don't have to honor your parents with it. So there in Jesus' understanding of honor your father and mother, it was a whole life honoring that included financial, physical provision for elderly parents. But he can't do that because he's going to go back to his father. He's going to leave. He's, you know, he could have done it, raised from the dead in his resurrection body, he could, but he's not staying on earth. And so he has to make provision for Mary. He honors her by providing and, and sets that up. Also, it's a supernatural other-centeredness while dying on the cross. His hands and feet nailed to the cross. He's bleeding out. He is in agony. Mm. And he's thinking about other people. Today you'll be with me in par paradise. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Woman, behold your son. Son or John, your mother, you know, behold your mother. And setting that up. Other centered to the final moment. So when you have a cold or the flu, not feeling well, you don't have to be grumpy. You don't have to be irritable. You can be kind to the people around you. Look mm. at Jesus on the cross. Other centered. It's a beautiful picture here. Mm -hmm. Andy, any final thoughts on this passage? We've covered a lot, but it's a, an amazing passage, lots yes. of prophecy fulfilled. Yep. Any final thoughts for us as we close this out? Well, this just goes through certain facts that happened and some things that, that, that John connects with the prophecy and all that, but the real significance isn't listed here so much. The real significance is in the epistles. It's in the, in the theology of the cross. Mm -hmm. That's what's really happening. So Galatians 2.20. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the, in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here's the phrase, who loved me and gave himself for me. That was Paul, not John that wrote that. Paul said, no, he loved me too. And so we can personalize it, not us, loved us and gave himself for us. That's true. 
a multitude greater than any we could count, but he loved me. And so when I think about this text, I think about Jesus being pierced for me. Well, this has been part two of episode 40 in the book of John. We would invite you to join us next time for episode 41 entitled, It Is Finished, where we'll discuss John chapter 19, verses 28 through 42. Thanks for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.